had our, our uh, rescheduled food distribution uh, yesterday, and it uh, went really well. We were down at Milton Frank Stadium and had set up uh, to give away another, uh, another uh, semi-truckload of groceries. And uh, it's such a good, good season. It's always a good season to serve. It's such a good season to serve now because it's in uh, moments like this. And, and, and so many of you understand, um, in the holidays, oftentimes our, our sensitivities to all kinds of stuff, whether it's our own family dynamic, what's going on in the world, it's just, it becomes super sensitive. And there's a lot of people that need to see the love of Jesus. And the way the love of Jesus is expressed is through the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. So I want to thank you guys that have been a part of that um, so much yesterday. We, we uh, I think it was really only probably the second time that we've been doing these that we had, uh, that we didn't have to turn cars away. So we actually, we doubled up groceries for some. We still, still gave away, I think, groceries to over 800 people or so. Just, you know, just 800. So, um, but we, we were able to double up on some and, and told them and it was just, it was such a good morning. I want to thank you guys for uh, those of y'all that have been a part, whether it was yesterday or, or even over the past uh, year and a half or so that we've been doing these things. Um, I want to thank you guys for being a part of that. I do want to give you a heads up. This is our last in-person service of the year next week, December 26th. Uh, we will not meet here. It's a really a Sabbath Sunday. There's so many people that are um, a part of the church that serve every week, uh, and uh, it's a time to, uh, to rest and refresh and really get ready for this next year. This next year is going to be crazy for a million reasons. So many reasons it's going to be crazy. How many of you guys know exactly what's going to happen next year? No, you don't. That's right. Put your hand up. No, no, that's not. We don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be crazy, but can I tell you something? Don't be afraid of next year. It's going to be so good. It's going to be a good year. There's going to be a lot of challenges. But as far as our church goes, we're going to be, uh, we'll, we'll be uh, walking through all kinds of uh, building renovations and new spaces and coming back and all that. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. So we want, to, um, we want to spend the 26th is a day where all of you guys that serve and really are able to come together in our, um, for our church on Sundays. It's a, it's a Sabbath Sunday, a rest for our church. Uh, children's ministry leaders, our worship team, all, all of our surf teams, really. Uh, we're going to start off next year, January 9th is the second Sunday, and we'll start off January 9th, we're going to do a time of prayer and fasting as a church. We're going to spend, um, uh, this time we're going to do 21 days, we've blocked off of prayer, 21 days of prayer, and so I'll speak to you guys a little bit more of what that looks like, kind of why 21 days, some so a lot of churches will block off certain times of the year and spend sections in specifically devoted times of prayer, whether it's 21 days, uh, 40 days of prayer. That kind of comes from when a couple places. One was where Jesus was, went into the desert, and he fasted and prayed for 40 days, 40 nights. And, uh, and so we're going to spend 21 days of focused prayer at the beginning of this year next year uh, because I'm fully expecting not only God to continue to do what he's been doing in our church, but to even in a lot of ways accelerate and expand our capacity to receive what he's doing in our church, but also what he's doing in the city and so many other churches. And uh, all of that begins in prayer. Our primary motivation in prayer, 
primary motivation in prayer is always to come to God with just what we have. We're just going to come to God with what we have so that we can learn to know him. And in return, we get to see what he does. And so uh, we're going to spend devoted time of prayer. I want to encourage you. I'll talk, talk to you more about what that looks like. We'll be here um, every morning at 6.15 in the morning while we're here in this space to pray from 6.15 to 7. And uh, it'll be a, a time of corporate prayer, but also uh, some private prayer, even though we're together in this space, just so we can start the year off. How many of you guys have ever started a year off and you said, I'm going to start this thing off? And you really did. You really, you, you, whether it was uh, some kind of New Year's resolution or it was uh, maybe it was prayer, whatever it was, you started off and you look back halfway through the summer hit and something happened and you went, man, I'm glad I started that part off in January either committed to Jesus or I started this new habit or whatever it was. It, it matters. And so that's coming up uh, in a couple weeks, and uh, we're excited about that. This is our last, last week here in this space. It's also our last Sunday for our series that we're in right now. This is the way. Everybody say, this is the way. It's our last week of this is the way, and um, it matters how Jesus saves the world. Jesus comes and he does save the world. But how he does it, it matters. It matters that he showed up in a manger and it wasn't a palace. It matters that he showed up uh, uh, first to shepherds and not to royalty. It matters. It matters that Jesus' people seem to be, his primary people seem to be the most receptive ones are the unimportant, unimpressive, nameless, faceless people that, you know, us. It matters because this is his way. So the first week of our, of our series that we, uh, of This is the Way, Lindsay talked about the way of Jesus is, is for, to, and through the simple. Through the simple, rather than complex and extravagance to the simple. Next week we talked about waiting. God's way is in the waiting. And last week we talked about kind of a combination of God's way is through celebration and invitation. Celebration and invitation. Jesus, his kingdom that he came to bring is a kingdom full of celebration that you and I are invited into. So don't let anybody ever fool you into thinking that uh, Christianity or the way of Jesus is uh, just a kind of boring get through. If I can just make it to the other side, I'll finally get there and then everything will be all right. Don't let anybody ever convince you of that. Every, all, all through the scriptures, we see that Jesus is inviting us into a kingdom where there is a celebration and you and I have the invitation into that, no matter what our circumstances are. And then this morning, we're going to look at the way of Jesus, how he saves the world is in both power and weakness, power and weakness. When it comes to following Jesus, how he saves the world tells me everything as to how I'm supposed to respond, respond to what he's done for me. And so Isaiah, even in Isaiah chapter 55, before, before Jesus ever came, the scriptures say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God is essentially saying this. You don't have me figured out. The moment you think you have me figured out, you don't. 
You don't. And so uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see what Jesus has to say about power and weakness. It's the Apostle Paul talking. He says, but he said unto me, the Apostle Paul is talking and he's responding to what the Lord spoke to him in his heart. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power, everybody say power, power. is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many of you guys love to brag about all of your weaknesses? You're like, I love to tell people about all the ways that I don't measure up. Anybody? No, nobody? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and yeah, that's what Paul's doing. He said, I'll boast all the more in my weaknesses. And so this morning's text, Matthew chapter 2, it's one of the places we get the clearest picture of the kind of Savior that we have in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, it's the story of the Magi. Um, beginning in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star, that had, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down. And worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they returned to their country. Joseph later is warned in a dream. And so they leave there. Uh, uh, Nero... Um, uh, ends up, Herod King ends up finding out that they've left and he decides to kill all the babies there in that territory, all that are two years old and younger. And after a while, uh, they're able to return, but a different ruler is in charge, so they ended up settling in Nazareth. And so Matthew's whole gospel is about a baby who poses such a threat to the most powerful man around that he kills an entire village full of other children in order to, just in order to get rid of them. And so this isn't a peaceful Christmas. Banish all thoughts in your mind of a peaceful Christmas. The environment is trouble, it's tension, it's violence, and it is fear. Before the Prince of Peace could even walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. So Matthew insists that even when things are at their darkest, this is how Israel's Redeemer was to appear. 
So there's no point really in arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point having an easy life when the whole world is suffering injustice and violence. And so if he's to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be where the pain is. And that's what this chapter is all about. This is power revealed in weakness. Power revealed in weakness. Rome had a, a, a different understanding of power. You've heard of the, the Pax Romana. Pax Romana. Uh, essentially, just is, it's just built on fear and violence. The idea is, is pay us taxes and we'll leave you alone. If not, we'll burn everything you got to the ground. It's just a, a, essentially fear and violence. And, but it was, it was uh, peace, peace through strength. And so the Jews, uh, Israel in Jesus' day, had a, had a different vision of power. And uh, there was, was uh, based on, on uh, the Romans being overthrown, and then God would raise up a military leader uh, like King David, who would come and, and, and take over. And uh, sounds kind of familiar, not too different. Our vision of peace, our vision of peace, not really different than anybody else's is peace, peace through strength. Let me show you uh, how strong I am, and then you won't mess with me, Right? That's the, that's the idea. The, the, the idea of power is pretty universal all throughout history, our understanding of it. This is all the same power revealed through strength. And so whether you think this is a good strategy or a bad strategy to take over the world like Jesus um, is not the point here. The point here is that God sent Jesus as a baby, and that was... His strategy, ultimate, ultimate weakness. We can see Israel's vision of power in Isaiah chapter 9. This is, this is 800 years before Jesus. In Isaiah, it says, beginning in verse 1, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus even quotes this later on in the Gospels. And Isaiah says, people uh, walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've Enlarge the nation, increase their joy, and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, when it's all over. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Listen to this. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. So Jesus saved and it's powerful but how is it revealed how does this come about how does this incredible story of rege of redemption a new light has dawned how does it show up well we see it in the in the following verse verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son of give is given and the government will be on his shoulders it's through a kid it's through a child a child is born. The government is placed on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing, uplifting it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What kind of power is this? What kind of power is this? that Jesus is revealing. It's really both, it's a revealed 
and concealed power. Two sides of the same coin. It's, it's a revealed power and a concealed power. We see, we see all throughout the Gospels examples of God's power revealed. It's revealed through Jesus, his power over creation. When he's standing there on a boat and there's a storm and he does this. Shh, and the entire ocean is calm. The waves go down. The winds stop blowing. Everything, and the disciples turn around and go, who is this? Now, you've been hanging out with Jesus for a couple years. You're a disciple, and you've seen some pretty miraculous things, some pretty incredible miracles, and yet you're out on a boat, and Jesus calms the storms and the waves, and the disciples look, and they go, look, we've seen some pretty crazy stuff. Who is this? Is power revealed, power over creation. Power over uh, evil. He goes all about healing those that are bound up, bound up, possessed by evil. So filled with evil that is exuding out of their body. And people can see evil spirits control their bodies. And Jesus comes and he speaks one word and they're free. What kind of power is this? It's a revealed power. Power over the grave. He goes into Lazarus' tomb. This guy's been dead for four days. He's dead. And he says, Lazarus, he says his name, he says two words, come out. Come out. Has anybody ever, anybody ever been around somebody who just prays? Now, I'm, all for, I'm all for prayer and lots of prayer. I'm, God responds to prayer. Anybody ever, ever said a prayer and you, maybe you're sitting at, at, at dinner and um, somebody prays and they say the blessing and it's like the forever blessing? You just waiting, and you just kind of you start looking around. And you open up, your eye, and you're like, "Is he still going?" And everybody starts doing the one-eyed look. You know, is he still going? We just gonna thank. We just thank God for everything. Yeah. Jesus come. I would think for it to be effective, you're about to raise somebody from the dead. You're gonna have to use a lot of words. Doesn't that make sense? Use all the. Jesus says, "Come out," and he comes out. A revealed power. It's all throughout the Gospels. All throughout the Gospels. He even has power over himself. John chapter 10, Jesus says this, Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. I have the right and the power to lay it down and the right and the power to take it back up, and I do so willingly. He he has the, the power to do that, and what does he do? He lays it down. It's a revealed power, but it is also a concealed power. It's a concealed power. Think about in the beginning. He's wrapped in a blanket, placed in a manger, surrounded by violence and instability. And that's really where we find ourselves today. In the middle of displays of God's power, when it's revealed, it is absolutely amazing. But most of the time, in my experience, I've seen God's power concealed. It's wrapped up. And only a few are able to see it. Only a few are able to see it. Able to see that it's working. So who who gets to experience this? Well, we we just read the text. It's those that are curious. It's the curiosity of Christmas. The Magi. The Magi are the ones who get to see this. They're, They're far off somewhere else. Those that are curious enough, desperate enough to seek it out. Concealed power 
requires curiosity. It requires people to, to dig deeper. It requires people to keep knocking. It requires us to keep climbing. The, the Magi, the Magi, there's no, we, we really don't know how many there were. There could have been three. It doesn't say that there's three. Um, all the pictures we have show that there's three, but those are not like original pictures. Um, it could have been two. There could have been a hundred. We don't know how many Magi there were. It's short. Magi is really just short for magical or magician. That's kind of, they were the, the wise uh, spiritual leaders uh, of their day. And so they, they, were, they were the ones that are always kind of on the lookout. And so for hundreds of years, it was their wisdom that was sought out. People would seek out the wisdom of the Magi. They would say, hey, tell us if we should invade this territory. Tell us if we should go into battle. Tell us if we should make this decision. Tell us if we should make that decision. And so they're always seeking, and so they are they're looking to the heavens, and they're looking at the um, astronomers, astrology. It's kind of all the same thing back then. And um, they're, they're seeking out, looking on the lookout for where is, what, what, what are the heavens doing? And so the wisdom and power of the Magi was sought even by, the, even by the biggest rulers. That's where we see here with, with, with Herod. But the seed of eternity was placed in their heart, and they knew there was always something more. For hundreds of years, these magi have been searching for something more. And so God loves to reveal his power. He loves to reveal his power, but he does so so often through weakness in the form of, of love. The problem is, is we equate, we equate weakness with insignificance. We do this. We all do this. We equate weakness. We equate weakness with insignificance. We think of the things that we're not good enough at, or that we can't do, or that we've never done, or that we've never had, or that we'll never, we're never gonna do. Whatever those things are, we equate them with. With weak, well, I don't, I don't have that. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And it's, it, it boils over into insignificance. But significance isn't measured by recognition, by platform, by money, by your clothing, by your home. If the Magi story shows us really anything, it's that significance is measured by one thing alone. How much of the love of God is wrapped up in that thing? Power and weakness. The Magi, they visit a baby. Power and weakness. The most seemingly insignificant thing is still full of the greatest potential if it is filled with the love of God. The most seemingly insignificant thing in your life is still full of the greatest potential if it's full of the love of God. It doesn't take a lot to show God's love is it's really always, it's, it's always in the little things. God's love is always wrapped up in the little things. The significance is always wrapped up in the little things. If Jesus' birth in a manger shows us anything, it's that, it's that God's love is always wrapped up in the little things that you and I have to seek it out and search for it. Power and weakness. I was in, I remember being in school for um, uh, seminary. Went to seminary, and um, the school that I was attending was uh, in Birmingham. It was an interdenominational school. It meant that there was 
there were all kinds of different denominations that were there. We, I went to school with uh, Lutherans, those that are Presbyterian, um, Baptists, uh, Pentecostal, Church of God in Christ. Uh, I think there was a Methodist there. Um, we had Episcopal. We're all piled in there together, all learning about Jesus. And, um, and so it was pretty incredible. But we had to go to, they had mandatory uh, chapel services on Tuesdays. And so we, I'd go to a chapel service. This is very different for me. I didn't grow up in a church like this. Um, the way they did chapel was pretty liturgical. They had a lot of ordered things. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't used to that. Uh, we just, it was, I, my, the way I grew up was a little bit different. Um, a lot more movement. Uh, a lot more, it, seemed, it seemed like there was a lot more energy. And uh, it, was, uh, it was different. But I, I enjoyed going on occasion because... It was, I like the experience. And so I'm sitting there one day, and it's Tuesday morning, and we're going to have chapel, and it's this, uh, it's this, uh, it's this uh, chapel room that's built, and it's this huge dome. Um, they built it, it was newer, it was only, you know, 30, 40 years old, but they built it in a way to represent uh, a m more of a, a chapel you would see a long, long time ago, hundreds of years ago. And so there's paintings all everywhere, and there's these statues, and, and, and uh, uh, stained glass windows, and so you'd go in. Everything, the point, all of it, everything was the the point was to was to point to Jesus, aim your affections to God. And so I walk in this one Tuesday, and the place is packed. It was never packed. All right, it was packed, and I was sitting in the balcony. They had a uh, uh, a balcony part of it, and I made it. I made it there just in time for uh, to get in the balcony. And so I'm sitting in there, and I'm like, what in the world? These are there were there were there were students that were there, but then there was a bunch of extra people. And so they were sitting in this service, and they and they start the service, go through a lot of things that I wasn't totally used to, and um, and uh, and then the speaker gets up, and the speaker is this tiny little man. He's wearing a brown robe with a brown hood and a and a rope around his waist, and he's about 80 years old, and his name is Cardinal Cantalamessa. He is this thick Italian accent, and uh, he's from Italy, and so what I found out was he was uh, Catholic, and that day they had invited the preacher to the Pope to speak, and he was in town. Now, EWTN is based in Birmingham. EWTN is a, is a, a global Catholic network. It's based in Bama, all right? And, um, and so they had found out about it. So all these Catholics fill the room, and then all these other denominations fill the room, and it is just melting pot of all over the it's a It's all over the map, all right? And so we're in there, and Cardinal Cantalamessa comes up, and he's wearing his brown habit, and he stands up there. He's a part of the uh, Franciscan order and um, known as the uh, preacher to the Pope. He is the only person that is allowed to preach to the Pope. He's been preaching to the Pope for decades, and he's standing in front of us. Now, I don't know how that sounds to you, but the Catholic Church, the largest denomination in all the world, and this is the only guy that can preach to the Pope, and I'm like, I wonder what he's about to talk about. All right, here we are sitting in this room, and it's just filled with all these different, and, he's, and he starts to talk, and he's very quiet, and he begins to preach, and he's so interesting, but he's so quiet you just kind of, you ever make faces while you're listening, but not because you're making faces at the person. You just kind of get here and you're just like this. 
So he kind of straining the ear. He's got this thick accent. And he begins to preach about the power of God. And I'm going, where's this coming from? I did not expect this. And here's this little man. And he is preaching amongst, about the power of God. He's got this gray beard. And he's, and he's just, but every once in a while he'll stop. And he just stops and he goes, okay, I think it's time to tell a joke. In the middle of the message. And I got it. And, and I thought, well, this is going to be a joke about, I don't know, the power of God. It wasn't. It was just a, just a joke. Like a joke you would hear, like, not here. It would be like, well, I have other jokes, but I'm not going to tell you that. I thought about telling jokes. He would just tell a random joke. And then you go, okay, that's good. And then he would go back into it. I think he was concerned that he was losing all, of, all us Protestants in the room. And so he gets going. And so we're listening. Everybody's listening. And I'm thinking, this is the weirdest church experience of my life. Here's the guy who usually is talking to the Pope, but instead he's talking to me. And I'm listening. And he gets toward the end. He's talking about the power of God. And he says, okay. He said, now I think it's time to sing a song. And I was like, now? We're going to sing a song now? And he says, all right, everyone. Sing with me. And I'm thinking, there is no way in the world anybody's going to know this song. This man preaches to the Pope. He's 80 years old. He is from Italy, and he has a language, a theological language, that is completely different than mine. He, he, it's so foreign to me. And everybody in the room, I'm thinking, I, I, just, I know everybody in the room feels misplaced. Nobody belongs. So I guess everybody belongs. And um, so we're sitting in this room. He says, now we're going to sing a song. And he says, I think you may know this song. Everybody knows this song. And I was like, ain't no way. He starts off singing, Jesus loves me. I didn't know that that was like a song that people sang on the other side of the world, a part of, you know, to the Pope. Apparently the Pope knows Jesus loves me. He starts singing, Jesus loves me. And everybody knows Jesus loves me. And we're all there training to be, you know, pastors and so you can't sit this one out. You got to go, you got to go for it. So everybody starts singing, Jesus loves me. Now the room is built so that any time there's talking, it can, it can be heard. You almost don't need a mic. You'd use microphones, but you almost didn't need it because the voice would just would reverberate in the room. And everybody in the room begins to sing, Jesus loves me. And about a halfway through, you can feel the thickness in the room you ever felt like a presence in the room where you were you ever felt like there's somebody talking or there's somebody you can you can feel things when you go into a room you can feel tension some of y'all are worried I feel for you some of y'all are worried about holidays coming up because you already know I know how I'm gonna what feel when I go in that room and I'm gonna feel tension you can also feel peace you can feel love you can feel joy and in that room, we're sitting there with a guy who could not be more foreign to my understanding, preaching a sermon on the power of God, singing the most basic, simple song in the history of the world, and you can feel the power of God in the room. And it gets louder, and it gets louder, and it gets... We're singing Jesus Loves Me. We're not singing fancy. There are no instruments. And I look around, and people start to cry. Jesus loves me. You ever cried singing Jesus loves me? They begin to cry. It was such a powerful moment. I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. There's nothing more unifying, nothing more powerful, nothing more basic to humanity than receiving 
the love of God, then receiving you and I were created. We were built, we were formed, we were fashioned to receive the love of God. But if we only search for it in the extravagant things, or we say, kind of put it on the shelf, I'll be able to receive the love of God one day when I've done this, when I've stopped doing that, when I've performed this or I've showed up to that. If I put it on the shelf and say, I'll be able to receive God's love when this happens, you and I will never receive God's love. We'll, we'll never receive it. There's nothing more basic to our humanity than to receive God's free gift of his love, but it's not this fancy extravagant thing that can never be reached unless you try to do it by your own power. It is a free gift, and we see this morning and this season given in the form of a baby wrapped up in weakness. There is no weakness that you and I have that is too weak for God to reveal his power and his strength through it. Do not allow the weaknesses, the shortcomings, the casualties of your life to keep you from receiving the love of God this year. If you will open yourself up to him, he will spread open his arms and bestow upon you his good love and his good grace. You are not changed by your efforts. You are not made good or made better or made perfect by all the strength that you have. You are made good and right and perfect through one thing alone, and it is the grace of God. And our response to receiving God's grace is living for Him. We don't live for Him in order to receive grace. We live for Him because we received grace. Grace is available to you in its totality this morning. In every strength of yours and in every weakness of yours. It is available to you. You just open and receive it. God will work out all that other stuff that's going on in your life where you say, no, 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 it's, it's, this, this keeps me from God. This keeps me from God. Well, surrender it. Surrender that. Surrender the hope. Surrender the loss. Surrender the brokenness. Surrender the addiction. Surrender the attitude. Surrender the emotion. Sur surrender it. And then receive grace this morning. One of, the, one of the greatest places that we see in Scripture, one of the greatest places that we see in Scripture of, of uh, repre uh, uh, representation of God's power is in John chapter 13. I'm going to read it this morning, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is... Um, He's about to go to the cross, and uh, he's, he was born and, uh, in a manger. He lived a sinless life, an incredible life. There's, there's, you don't just want to skip over Jesus' life. It, it is Jesus' life where we see how we are to live, and it's through that that God changes us. And yet, here we are at the end of his life here on earth, and he's sitting with his disciples. This is last day. Who are you going to hang out with on your last day? You knew it was coming. Jesus knew it was coming. And he's sitting with his disciples, and he's got this last message. Here's my last message to you. It's just before the Passover, and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's a powerful phrase. I love that phrase. He loved them to the end. Loves us to the end. He'll love you to the end. Never stops loving to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What's that word? Power. Jesus has all power. All things have been placed under his power. He had come from God, was turning to God. So what did he do? You have all power. God has given you all power. So what are you about to do? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. The creator of the universe standing there with a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he finished washing, verse 12, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. He said, you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's right. That's right. That's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, what do you do? I'm the one with all the power in the world. Now that I, And I will just wash your feet. What do you do? You wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you. You should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, check this out. You'll be blessed if you do them. Blessed if you do them. In your seat is a, um, is a, a, a little encapsulated communion uh, cup. And so we, we uh, being portable for, the past, for, our, for our first two years, this has been by far the most helpful way for us to do this um, we actually started out our church and um, we started out and we did communion every single week and uh, we're at, we'll end up going back to that um, and I'll tell you guys more about that another time uh, we did communion every single week and the reason was is our church uh, you guys know four corners it's four corners of a table and we wanted everybody to know that there was an invitation for them at God's table and so this morning, I want you to know, there's an invitation for you and for me at his table. And so you, you're invited in the way that we recognize that and that we remember what God's done for us. Jesus even said it. When you do this, when you, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We remember what God has done, not what you've done. We don't remember what you've done. We don't remember what I've done. We remember what God's done. So God being born in a manger as a, as a baby, wrapped in, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a feeding trough, and now for us the bread of heaven. That's what we get to receive today. And so this morning, I want you to do this. If you just close your eyes wherever you are in your walk with Jesus. I don't know if you feel like you're, if you're hand in hand, stride in stride with him. Awesome. Or maybe you feel like you're 100 miles away. I want this moment to be an opportunity for you to take a step toward him. Here's the thing. When we feel 100 miles away from Jesus, all it takes is one step toward him and he's right there. And if that's you this morning, you say, I feel like I'm 100 miles away, but I want to receive his grace, not my effort, but his grace this morning. I want to do that this morning. I'm going to confess that right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and you put it back down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm 100 miles away. 
that I'm going to return this morning. I'm going to receive his grace. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for those in this room. God, everybody that's here. God, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we take a step toward you, and this morning we receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, if you'd do this, if you'd take, uh, open up the, uh, your communion cup, if you take the bread, this is bread, by the way. If you take the bread, put, hold it in your hand. This is the, uh, uh, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. So anytime you do this, we're doing this, anytime you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Would you do this? Let's take the bread. Scripture says, in the same way, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this is my blood. So he spilt, he spilled out for you and for me. Jesus spilled his blood for you and for me. Father, I thank you for your gift of your son, the body and the blood. Thank you, God, that because of your blood was spilled for me, God, I receive grace, forgiveness, restoration, totally redeemed. I'm a son. This room is full of sons and daughters of you. We thank you for it. We remember what you've done. Amen. Let's take the cup. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, sealing this message in our hearts. God, I pray you would do just that. God, you would seal it in our hearts. God, it's not just a Christmas message, God, about the Magi bringing gifts. It is a Christmas message that is true every single day. God, sear it into our hearts, God, that your power is perfected in weakness. And God, so every weakness we have, we surrender it to you. God, so that you would be seen powerful. Make our church in every way. God, make it strong in your power, not our own. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas on this last Sunday before the big holiday. I'm so glad to spend it with you. Uh, I think we actually fared pretty well because there's big happy birthday Jesus parties going on in two different rooms. They were pretty good, right? So if you have kids, hug your leader. There's a lot of leaders back there keeping them quiet. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm glad, though, that we got to celebrate in our own way a happy birthday, uh, Jesus, this morning uh, together in service. So, hey, if it's your first time with us at Four Corners Church, I'd love the opportunity just to write you a note letting you know we're excited that you were with us this morning. Uh, there are connection cards inside of each bulletin in the seats. So if you wouldn't mind taking a moment and filling one of those cards out, letting us know that you are here, um, I, would, I would love the chance just to... Uh, to mail you something. In addition, if you have any change of address, if you um, have already filled one out before, um, change in information, you have a prayer request or something you'd like us to celebrate uh, with you about, let us know and you can drop those off uh, in the back on the, the high top table in the little black drop box. Uh, and I want to say thank you to those who give to Four Corners Church as well. There's a couple of ways that you can do that uh, online by text or by giving in person, which also can be dropped off in the Dropbox. I think Joel forgot to mention this. Um, <laughs> it's all right. 
No, it's just a cool, uh, cool thing. The reason we thank you is for stuff like this. This week, uh, during the middle of the week, Joel gets a call um, saying, hey, we've got an outreach for the Child Advocacy Center, which was right across the street from where we were when we were at the lumber yard. And um, they had 40 families that needed groceries, and we were able to buy them all from our church. And um, a, a group gave them to each of the families at the Children's Advocacy Center. But it's because you're giving that we weren't strapped going, oh, my God, there's a need that we can't fill. Uh, so not only did we get to give away 40,000 pounds of food yesterday, uh, we also got to bless 40 families that live right here locally um, with food. So thank you. Thank you for giving. Uh, you're a part of that. If you give to Four Corners Church, then you got to bless a family. So we really appreciate it, um, especially in this season. Thanks, Abe. Hey, would you guys stand up with me? I want to pray for you. Would you hold your hands out like this? Now may the God of all creation who revealed himself as an infant fill you with all power from him. Full of love, full of joy. May you go this week into this uh, holiday season knowing the joy and the peace that he gives is not temporary, but it is forever and for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we love you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in January 2nd.